All right. Hi, everyone. This is Anthony Diaz with the Pop Health Show. And this show is for anyone that has a strong passion for making people healthier in this world. I am really enthused and excited to have Ryan Bahalchik. And Ryan, please correct me if I mature your last name a little bit there. Um, meant to rehearse that a little bit. But um, uh, Ryan is with Epic. Ryan is the director of value-based care at Epic. He's been doing some really great things in the space, and I'm not going to steal his thunder. Uh, Ryan, hopefully I didn't uh, butcher your last name too bad. <laughs> no, that, that's okay. I, I always feel self-conscious. You know, when, when uh, my wife and I got married and she had to take my last name, I said, you, you, ha- you need to be prepared for a life of telling folks how to pronounce it. So in case <laughs> she's listening or, or my mom's listening, I, I should say that it's pronounced Bohachik, but Bohachik. Um, I never expect anyone to get it right on the first try. Bohachik. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely a unique name. It's a, it's a, it's a super cool sounding name. So, but I think most importantly, I'm, I'm excited to have you on the show. Uh, love what you've been doing and really love your focus, uh, you know, your career focus. But uh, I guess maybe to start us off, Ryan, maybe you can teleport us back and tell us a little bit about yourself or maybe tell us a little bit about the series of events that have gone on throughout your life that have led you to become the person you are. So just a little bit about your origin story. Just love to hear about that, Ryan. Yeah, well, I, I should admit when I, I start out here that my my foray into healthcare really couldn't have been any more fee-for-service based. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it's interesting now that, that my focus is all around population health and more value-based care. But I began at Epic a little over 12 and a half years ago, really focused on our revenue cycle implementations. Mm. So for anyone who doesn't know, at Epic, we work with really large health systems, provider organizations with really a a full enterprise software solution. So it's all of the clinical documentation, the administrative systems for scheduling and registration. And then what my main area of focus was, was around the the revenue cycle. So it it was really focused around efficient processes to get bills out the door and ensure that we had payments coming in. So again, about as far from from value-based care population health as you could get. But a few years back, as I was working with organizations that were really looking to move more into that value-based care space, either because, you know, A, it was organizationally a focus or goal of theirs, or B, the insurance companies that they were working with were prioritizing it or, or really it was moving more in that direction. We began to look at you know, how do we help those organizations really move into that value-based care model? At the same time, I also started to work more directly with some of the provider-owned health plans or managed care organizations that we have a relationship with at Epic. So some of the, the more well-known groups like Kaiser Permanente or, or Group Health Cooperative that really have been doing the value-based care activities, well, since their inception, really. Mm-hmm. And it, it was interesting for us because, well, me and a, a lot of others at Epic to, to say, how do we take some of those lessons learned in the way that those managed care and provider-owned HMOs take care of their patients and apply those same concepts to groups that, that really had no background there? So if I was a, a group that you know was always paid based off the number of patients that I saw and the number of services that were provided, but I'm now looking to move more into that value-based care space, how do I behave a little more like a Kaiser Permanente or, or one of these provider-owned HMOs? So that was was really how I started to to transition in my career into working more with those types of organizations. And as a little bit more of an interesting background in in Madison here, Madison, Wisconsin, for folks who aren't familiar, we're we're kind of weird, but I think in a good way. Well, we're weird in many ways, but in the healthcare space, we're we're really all or almost exclusively all provider-owned HMOs. 
So for, for those of us that have lived in Madison for a long time, that's really just the life that we're accustomed to. So uh, kind of bringing that to the uh, recent story or a recent happening in, in my personal life, uh, my wife and I welcomed our, our first child into the world. And I jokingly told my mom that uh, once we found out we were pregnant, one of the first people that that contacted us to say congratulations was our health plan. <laughs> it's because they, you know, they have that really tight coordination and affiliation with the physicians that we're seeing. And, and in that provider-owned HMO model, you know, everything is very lockstep. The folks that provide the benefits from the health plan side, the folks that are delivering the care, they're really all working together to have the best possible outcomes, in our case, for us or my wife as a, a newly expecting mom. And so, it, you know, when you think about that model, Every time she saw her physician for prenatal care, every time we, you know, went to a new mom and baby class, it seemed like everybody knew the benefits that were covered, the the special care that that we could receive that was going to be taken care of by the insurance company. And so when I, you know, started to put those two things together, both the groups that I was working with at Epic and that process that I was going through as a new dad, so there's a lot of opportunity here to say how can we better use coordination and a, a shared set of information to have better overall outcomes for individuals. Mm-hmm. So to, to then bring that into what our goal is now brought more broadly at Epic, it's how do we have that same type of a, a coordinated care model, regardless of who the insurer is or who the healthcare provider is. And that's really what's driving a lot of our work now. It's mm-hmm. more uh, free sharing of information and better access to, again, insurance information, but also what's happening in the, the clinical delivery side of the world so that everyone can work together so we have healthier people, but also very importantly, that we're not adding additional administrative steps to have those good outcomes. I love it. I love it, Ryan. Now it's uh, it's super exciting what you're doing and, and what you've been focusing on. And I appreciate you know your your background and where you've been and how you've progressed from the revenue cycle management side into you know um, such a such a large societal shift that's happening right now across healthcare, and you're in the heart and, and center of it. Um, and, and I guess along those lines, Ryan, I'd love to hear a little bit about. Uh, some of the things that you're seeing today that really have you uh, fixated, passionate, or just um, you know super elated to be a part of, or some, some interesting phenomenon that's happening in healthcare, whether it's specific programs or um, you know technologies or processes or or payment models that are happening. I'd just love for you to maybe highlight one or two things that you're seeing today that really um, have you captivated. Yeah, I, I think on a, well, related to, to what I was talking about, I think for the first time, we really are seeing a world in which incentives are being aligned between the folks paying for care on the health plan side, the folks delivering care, all of the physicians and, and clinicians that they work with, but then also for patients. Mm-hmm. So that there's that, that model that's saying if we can keep people healthier, uh, hit certain quality goals, that those things will lead to, to higher reimbursement. And on the uh, related side, I think a a necessary component of that is that there's technology now that can also support that. So if if I think about, you know, when some of the provider owned HMOs were a little bit more in vogue, um, you know, the whole idea was that they could have more coordinated care, take better care of individuals, and and everyone could be working in a a more lockstep fashion. But some of the, you know, the, um, I don't want to say the actual downside, but what some of the perception was around those groups is that, you know, they were just going to look to limit care because that's ultimately what was was more cost effective for individuals. When I think about the way that the models are moving now, we do have technology that empowers us to be able to say, well, what are the better outcomes or what leads to better outcomes for individuals and how do we reward those types of behaviors? So 
what I'm really seeing is CMS is, is being super straightforward about saying this is the path that we want to go down. This is how we move to more value-based care. And naturally, a lot of the commercial insurers are also moving or following along with those same types of programs. So from a, a physician standpoint, you know, a lot of them want to do this kind of work. They, they want to have things be more focused and, and reimbursement tied to better outcomes. Mm-hmm. And now that the insurers are also moving there, us as patients, we all get to benefit from that. Right. So we can, ha- we can have that feeling of more coordinated care, the you know, preventative models, the, the folks that are calling us, making sure that we're taking our medications as expected, because really there's the, the dollars that are tied to that. You know, for many years, there was the, the thought around, um, uh, you know, mar- no, mar- no margin, no mission. Um, mm-hmm. You know, now people are saying no, um, no outcomes, no income. So really being able to, to prove that there's better outcomes associated with this type of model is leading to, to those shifts in payment models. So I, I think that's what's super exciting for me because now it's gone past just folks saying we think this is the right thing to do. We want to move more to this model, which many healthcare systems were saying. But now there's also that that dollars and cents tied to it as well. So if they can have you know better outcomes for their patients, they can focus more of their time and energy on keeping people healthy, keeping them out of the hospital. There is you know not only the feel good component of that, but then also the fact that there, there's the reimbursement tied directly to it. Mm-hmm. So I really really like that. There, there's a lot of you know um, aligned interests around it, and, and folks do seem to want to move more to that model now. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. Yeah, no, it's a, it's, it's such an interesting model. And one, it, it, it's kind of makes sense. It's kind of like, why didn't we have this model from the get go, you know, in American history. Um, but, but it's exciting to see that we're moving towards it, you know, now and you're in the heart and center of it. Um, you know, just curious, Ryan, can you speak to uh, a little bit about, you know, when it comes to um, these like bundled payments and this value-based side, it seems like a lot of the cost is centered around anything regarding the heart. So like cardiology, oncology, orthopedics. Um, can you speak to anything along the lines of the, uh, the certain procedures and is it, is it mainly episodic? Is it main, are, you, are you seeing things applied to chronic conditions, diabetes, metabolic syndrome, um, or is it across the spectrum? Just kind of would love for, you know, our listeners are always kind of interested in hearing a little bit about, you know, the details of, of you know, what type of conditions, um, what, what does this value-based movement really comprise of when it comes down to like, um, you know, procedures and where are the most costly procedures or where are the biggest areas of opportunity? Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a great question because everyone is looking to, to, to say, where should our focus be? What are the mm-hmm. areas that either A, are going to be mandated or B, just as part of our you know, overall cost of care models, what should we be focusing on to say, this is an opportunity here to, to have better financial outcomes. So the ones that, that are high of mind for many are those programs or those bundles that CMS targeted. And traditionally that was really around uh, total joints and then a little bit on the oncology and cardiology or in those areas, I should say. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that is, is probably no surprise because they are those really high cost pockets of care. Mm-hmm. And so when you know, CMS, and, and not to speak for all the intentions of CMS, but right. but uh, in, pretty clearly what they're trying to do is to say, here's the areas that, you know, A, are really costly, but B, tend to have a lot of variability. So with those bundled episode programs that CMS rolled out in the mandated geographical areas, they said, you know, we're going to look at some quality outcomes. We're also going to look at the average cost, because if there is high variability, we feel like that's something that we can you know, uh, address head on. And then not only from the CMS side, but 
ideally in changing patterns and how that care is rendered, look to reduce some of that variability. And so I think that, you know, from a procedural standpoint, those are the ones that come up most often, orthopedic, cardiology, oncology, because of those programs. But they're not tied only to CMS. So we work with a lot of groups that that are members of the EPIC community that do um, episodic bundled arrangements, either with employers or directly with commercial health plans. But they're very similar in nature. It's, you know, we're going to define an episode of care. We'll have a set payment amount tied to it. Mm-hmm. And then we'll look to reduce variability and reduce the overall cost of care while still keeping those really good quality outcomes for those individuals. So that that's certainly one aspect of it. The other one that we hear a lot about with groups that are moving to either shared risk models or might be taking on downside risk with their health plan partners are some of these areas like um, diabetic care or individuals that have chronic disease that they're managing like congestive heart failure. And in those models, the the main difference is that we generally don't hear that there's a, a set payment amount like for the procedural things like a knee replacement. But a lot of times it's it's bundled in a sense of there's a capitated amount or a set amount we're going to pay we're going to pay you for taking care of this individual mm-hmm. and if you can reduce the cost of care for them whether they're diabetic or they have congestive heart failure you know by doing more preventative services by keeping them out of the hospital again really good for patients because no one likes being in the hospital but also has that financial incentive tied to it for the you know both the provider and the health plan working together so i, I really do think that we mm-hmm. we see both both versions of that in terms of predicting where the puck is going. Um, yeah, it is a little bit tricky because CMS announced that they were going to do some more models and then sort of backed away from them. But I think the really positive thing that we hear is that groups are saying, well, independent of what CMS wants to do, we're still going to go down this path with our payers because, you know, it allows us to have a, um, you know, more predictable revenue stream and also, again, gets to that goal we really have, which is reducing variation and having better outcomes for our patients. Mm. I, I love it. I love it. And uh, I guess along those lines, um, I know, a, you know, a big part of, you know, value base and, you know, making sure that um, the cost of care, uh, you know, decreases and that quality could be, you know, coordinated and, and orchestrated properly between the payers and providers. There's a lot of talk now about, you know, people's uh, social determinants of health or social determinants of health affecting um, patients and affecting costs. And with that comes a new mindset for, for leaders in healthcare to, you know, address social needs and make sure they're being addressed. Um, do you have any thoughts or comments on, 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 you know, that world of social determinants of health and how that relates to the, this, this value-based movement that we're in? Yeah, we, We've been doing a lot at Epic around social determinants of health and probably no surprise because many folks are Mm -hmm. looking at how those social determinants of health impact the overall outcomes for an individual, depending on which, which study you, you like the most, (laughs) you know, they'll say anywhere between only 20 to 40% of the overall impact for someone's, you know, health and wellness comes from the care they receive from the traditional medical side of the world. So doctor visits, hospital admissions, those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And then a, a really large percentage, you know, one study will say 40% or so is directly impacted by those social determinants of health. Mm-hmm. So when, when we look at how to help folks work with patients to have the best overall outcomes, naturally we're seeing folks say, you know, in addition to the great medical care that we're going to provide, how do we help those individuals address the social needs that they have or, or otherwise move the needle on the social determinants of health? 
So a, a couple of years ago, um, Judy, our CEO, said we, we really want to, to move from being a traditional electronic health record into something that she calls a comprehensive health record. Mm. And it's comprehensive in a sense that it looks at you know not only diagnoses and procedures that you had and all that medical documentation, but now also incorporates those social determinants of health. So if you're thinking about you know, someone that's a diabetic that doesn't have consistent access to healthy food, it's really hard for them to manage that diabetes, even if they're consistent with their insulin and they consistently get their glucose levels checked. The Their ability to have access to healthy food or to get into their normally scheduled appointments is going to have a huge impact on the outcomes that they might have. So when we you know think about that social determinants of health space, it's I think of it as a huge untapped resource to know how to best work with that patient to have those better outcomes. Mm. So there's a a study that came out from Geisinger, and they were looking at their diabetic patients, and they said, we can provide healthy food for these individuals for a really long period of time, so many months in a row, and that's really cheaper to us overall than if that person ended up in the hospital for an unplanned admission due to complications with that diabetes. And again, that's, that's one of those magical places where mm. it's really great for a patient. I would prefer to get access to healthy food as opposed to coming to the hospital, but it also aligns really well with Geisinger's goals, which is reducing the cost of care for those individuals and, and the, the folks that are members of their health plan. So mm. again, that's just one small example, but all the other you know, domains within the social determinants of health that we could also address more as a, a healthcare system to have better outcomes for those individuals. Awesome. Awesome. No, that, I really appreciate the perspective and, and just, um, yeah, you know, from, from your CEO's uh, thoughts on, uh, you know, how that, how the record should be shaping up and how, you know, yeah, the architecture and like the records and how we're capturing information about ourselves as patients um, does need to evolve and change. And so it's, it's just refreshing to kind of hear that, the type of thinking. Um, and, and I guess along those lines, you know, everything you're working on, everything you're doing is really shaping ourselves up for an interesting future. Uh, you know, obviously the future of where you're at um, in, in your company, but uh, the future of healthcare overall. Um, Ryan, I'd love to hear a little bit about how you see the future of healthcare shaping up. Like, tell me a little bit about, uh, you know, the future of health according to Ryan. What, what do you see? What do you see happening? Yeah, I would actually just carry down that same path that we were yeah. talking about and, yeah. and say, I think this, this area of social determinants of health is going to, to continue to be a big focus for groups. And, mm. you know, beyond what they're doing today, looking to answer a couple different questions that I think today there's ideas around, but we don't have all the answers. Number one, how do we best address those social needs that someone has? So I just gave the example of you know, access to healthy food for a diabetic, but there's so many more things that we could be doing that would lead to better outcomes for patients. So that I think that's that's area number one. When we think about social determinants, it's one thing to understand the needs and have them documented in a, a you know a manner that lives alongside the traditional medical information. But the next question is how do we address it? Uh, so I think that's going to be one aspect of it. The the second one is. We have a, an interesting model in the U.S. right now where it isn't exactly fleshed out to say who pays for some of those things. Mm. So the, the Geisinger model works really well because you know, they have a, a health plan that they offer. And again, if they can, can have better access to care and reduce the overall cost of care for those members, that's a benefit to them and other, other health plans that, that have a similar model. But if you think about you know, folks that are in Medicare or Medicaid or may have a, a commercial insurer through their employer, 
there aren't great standards or at least good consistency yet to say when you have these needs, this is a benefit of the health plan. Mm. So I do really see the model evolving. Not you know not that it, it's going to you know try to address all the needs of someone like uh, you know housing or transportation or everything that that someone might need more from the social safety net side of the world. Mm-hmm. But I do really see those worlds really coming together more and more to to identify opportunities or you know, ways that we can help someone that you know, might be a little bit more on the traditional Medicare medical side of the world. Mm-hmm. So if someone has, you know, knee pain, still refer them to an orthopedist. That that's the way that we've always done things and it makes sense to address that person's knee pain. But if someone doesn't have healthy access to food, you know, now we're referring them to a food bank or, you know, a nutrition education program that, you know, is is a little bit different than the traditional medical referrals in the sense of there's a different audience that's addressing those things. But then number two, again, just lives outside of oftentimes the covered benefits that someone has with their health plan. Right. I, I will say, I'm hoping that's not too distant future, that that starts to be the way that things evolve. We have you know, talked or I've talked to health plans and we know that there's some state Medicaid agencies that are looking to to help cover those things. But it's just a little bit more like the, the um, I don't want to say the Wild West, but the unexplored frontier to say, how do we, we effectively address these and do it consistently? Because... Mm. The other, the other tricky part for patients today, and really the, the physicians that are taking care of them, is knowing all those, those opportunities or things that might be covered to help them address those social needs that they might have. So I think if we you know, continue to evolve and say we, you know, we've kind of scaled the first mountain, which is understanding the social determinants of health and being able to bring those into a, you know, a comprehensive view of an individual, the next step is what do we do about it? And then finally, is this something that, that has funding behind it? And, and where's that funding going to come from? So in, in my mind, you know, that, that's really the, the next step in this space and how we, we really evolve to this model of addressing the comprehensive needs of someone beyond just, again, what the traditional medical system has done. Amen. No, right. I, I really appreciate that. Yeah, I appreciate the the progression of, of what you're laying out here. And I do see that happening. And it's uh, it's an exciting future. I mean, I guess, uh, well, a couple of things. It's an exciting time to be in healthcare, as you know, more than anyone. And uh, I appreciate you also, you know, coming on the show to to speak about uh, a few things, your your background, what, you know, what led you to where you're at today, your passions in, in health and, and how you see the, the future of health shaping up. I guess, uh, Ryan, this has been really great and I appreciate your time. My very last question is, you know, getting in contact, whether it's through social media or reaching out directly, if you'd like any of our listeners to engage with uh, you, the the company, um, or or reach out via social media, what would be a good way to do so? Yeah, well, I first want to say thanks for having me on. Hopefully, the, the excitement that I have around this topic came through today. So I appreciate the opportunity to talk about it with you and, and for others to, to hear about it as well. The easiest way to, to learn more about what I'm working on, what we're doing here at Epic is, is right through epic.com. We'll, we'll go with that because it's the easiest thing to remember. We, we have the ability to, to post some, some information there. Uh, so to, to find out more about what we're talking about today or, or generally broadly speaking, what we're doing on the Epic side, uh, epic.com is the best place for that. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Ryan, I just want to say a couple things. Yeah, I really appreciate your, your thought leadership in this space on the value-based side, um, you know, the social determinants of health perspective, 
um, you know, everything you're doing and what you're shaping up and, you know, how we reduce the cost of care in this critical time in healthcare. Um, it's just very fascinating work that you're doing. So I really appreciate your background and focus and absolutely your passion, most, most importantly, uh, Ryan. So, um, so it was great having you on. And to our listeners out there, this is the Pop Health Show. The show's for anyone that has a strong passion for making people healthier in this world. Again, Ryan, this was great. Thank you so much for your time. And uh, this was this was awesome. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks again. Okay. Thanks so much, Ryan.